story about the boots if you yeah. want Support for WMNF comes from listeners like you and the Times Festival of Reading on Saturday, November 11th. The festival brings authors writing about today's compelling topics and most read fiction for discussions about their books. This year, the Times Festival of Reading will be at the Palladium in St. Petersburg. More information at festivalofreading.com. That's one word, festivalofreading.com. And good morning and welcome to The Skinny for Friday, November 3rd. I'm Mitch Perry, senior political reporter with the Florida Phoenix, joined by my colleagues Ray Rowe with Creative Loafing and freelance reporter and author Ben Montgomery. Good morning, gents. Good morning. How are we doing today, everybody? Good to see you both. And we're going to be talking politics throughout the hour here because Florida this week, next week or so, is basically in the, uh, the spotlight of the political world, especially the Republican world. Tomorrow in Kissimmee near Orlando is the Republican Freedom Summit, or excuse me, the Florida's Freedom Summit. Summit, where Donald Trump, Ronald DeSantis, and all of the other Republicans running for president will be there uh, throughout the entire day. We'll be talking about that. And then slated for later this hour, about 1130, we're scheduled to speak with Pinellas County Republican Congresswoman Anna Paulina Luna. So you'll want to stick around for that. Now, uh, we're waiting in, in a few minutes. We'll be joined by uh, Barry Edwards, political consultant who we've had on the show before, who works with both Democrats and Republicans and has for decades here, because he's got some numbers that uh, if you're a Democrat, you're not going to really want to hear in terms of fundraising uh, and where that disparity is between Republicans and Democrats. As we know, in this state, the uh, state basically continues to become more Republican each and every month. As of the end of September, Republicans had 588,930 more registered voters than Democrats. That's a trend that has continued for years. It was about two years ago, almost exactly two years ago, where Republicans finally overtook Democrats and they padded their numbers each and every month since then. But guys, before we have Barry come in, I just want to talk about the state of the nature of the presidential race right now. We're about a year away, actually, right? Next, uh, I think a week from Tuesday is a year away from the 2024 general election. And, you know, the big one, of course, will be the presidency. And right now, as it's been kind of the case for months, most of this year, is that it looks like it would be Donald Trump versus Joe Biden. Um, Basically, right now, Donald Trump continues to have a lead of roughly around 40 points, 45, depending on what poll you look at nationally and in state polls. Uh, And it really hasn't moved much. Now, what you're hearing from some folks is that they want to see consolidation. You know, Mike Pence dropped out of the race last weekend out in Vegas and big surprise well it, it was a little bit of a surprise I mean if you look at it I mean some of these others guys should drop out right I mean Doug Burgum in South Carolina and Asa Hutchinson from Arkansas who will be in uh, Kissimmee tomorrow they're probably not going to be on my stage in Miami because they're not going to qualify uh, Tim Scott we contacted Senator Tim Scott's office on Monday because he wasn't listed by the New York Times tracker as officially qualified for the debate he, they say he has that'll be announced officially on Monday but other than that Vivek Mar- Ramaswamy, Chris Christie, these are people who aren't doing much of anything. Kind of the story, and I did a story this week about Nikki Haley, um, the former governor of South Carolina, basically competing with DeSantis now for the number two spot. And that's been kind of like, again, there's not much competition to write about, like who's competing against Trump, but now you're writing about who's 40 points behind. But it is interesting because DeSantis has been like the, the number two guy, supposedly. And now in Iowa, so not in Iowa, but in New Hampshire and South Carolina, he's no longer to Haley 
has uh, surpassed him there. Yeah, it was really interesting. I suffered through Haley's appearance on The Daily Show. Uh, and Charlemagne, not a great Daily Show host, but he was asking some questions and it just feels more and more just like this weird tryout for the next cycle. Um, and watching Haley, it seems uh-huh. like they're all just kind of waiting, you know, and she almost when she tiptoed around the question about Donald Trump going to jail and somebody in second possibly being the nominee. It is just, this is the most bizarre thing ever. Isn't it, though? And I think, again, 91 indictments he's facing next year. And I think my take has always been why DeSantis still, I've said this on the air, that he's still viable because, or and Nikki Haley too, for that matter, because Okay, the, the Republicans who are determined to, get, to knock Joe Biden out, they think he's just you know terrible for America. And then if they see that you know when these trials begin, that it, 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 you know some folks are backing away a little bit from Trump, um, that's that's the, their opening. But you know as we've seen, right, it, that has not happened at all yet. And, when, and whenever Trump is in trouble, theoretically, he just does better in the polls. So. That is right, Ray. That is so uniquely different than I think any of us have ever, you know, experienced. And by the way, we're going to have Barry Edwards on here in a few minutes. Uh, I'll open the phones right now, 813-239-9663, if people want to uh, chime in about their thoughts about this. Yeah, it's been really weird. The uh, the daily Trump emails, the kiss of death emails have become, have become re-addicted to Trump uh, like in his messaging, where I kind of was when he was president. It's obviously, hilarious. some of this stuff is hilarious. How he's tra- trashing DeSantis. The writing in it is insane. But also, you just think about the strategy. Like he's so far ahead. You know, he doesn't really need to beat up on anyone. But the names that he's calling everybody else in the field. Are just, he calls he calls Nikki Haley bird brain, which is just such a lame. I mean, when you send thing. a whole it, email it, out it about works, high heels, though, it's it? crazy. Yeah, it does work though, right? I think that's been the most bizarre thing. I would love to hear from a Republican voter who really would like to get away from Trump and how they do intend to vote. Because when when Nikki Haley was on The Daily Show, um, Charlemagne the God asked her, no, let's say you're not the nominee. You, you're, are you still going to vote for Trump? You know, they're trashing this guy, Trump, all day long. Yet, they still say he's better than Joe Biden. So I'm really interested to tap into somebody local who has that mindset as well. You know, the other thing that uh, came up on The Daily Show, Charlemagne asked, are you wearing higher heels than Ron DeSantis next (laughs) week at the debate so you can look taller than him on the stage? And Nikki Haley, of course, has made uh, no apologies for wearing high heels in a field, uh, running in a field dominated by men. Uh, But I thought her response to that, and by the way, the Internet is still talking about this, is... Ron DeSantis. I was not aware of the high heels in Ron DeSantis at all, which I'm kind of ashamed to say. But now that I'm seeing it in the photos of the boots and all the diagrams and and the science, quote unquote, it's kind of crazy. I thought Haley's response was pretty good. She said, we'll have to figure that out. I can tell you, I've always talked about my high heels. I've never hid that from anybody. I've always said, don't wear them if you can't run in them, which is a dig at DeSantis. Interesting to me, Politico actually assigned a uh, fashion reporter to try to get to the bottom of Heelgate uh, to figure out if uh, if Ron DeSantis is in fact wearing risers in his cowboy boots, uh, and this I think started on TikTok. Uh, people making you know drawing questions about it, um, doing diagrams as you mentioned, Ray. Uh, one of the one of the TikToks said "Slay Queen" uh, captioned over the picture of the boy <laughs> picture of DeSantis's boots. Um, but it turns out expert things experts uh, that, that were contacted by Politico. 
Politico, including bootmakers in Houston and elsewhere, have said, yeah, it looks like he's actually wearing something inside of his boots to make him appear taller. DeSantis is about 5'11", if the uh, Yale baseball roster is to be believed. That's not a short uh, man. Uh, 5'11 is, uh, you know, it's up there. But but he's he's running. He's 6'3". Trump is 6'3". And he's uh, reportedly (laughs) gone. He's a linebacker. (laughs) At at least he's reportedly flirted with another one of these uh, insults, uh, you know, toying with the idea of calling DeSantis Tiny D, which I think, you know. We can say that on the radio, I think. Well, by the way, um, in terms of, uh, oh, sorry, I was going to say something else. But for DeSantis. um, (laughs) Uh, we have a, a listener who wrote in and says he wants to know about RFK Jr. is pulling very high. Is he a, more of a threat to Trump or uh, Biden? That's been an interesting discussion about people because Robert Kennedy, who um, has been really, uh, I, I don't know, I think that he's very questionable in terms of uh, his stances on certain issues, right? And he's dropped out of being the Democrat challenging Joe Biden. He's running as an independent now. And the, the initial thoughts were, oh, he'll really hurt Joe Biden. Then you've seen some other articles saying that he's going to hurt um Trump, but I, um, I, he is collecting uh, checks, though. This is, I think, from Politico. Yeah, RFK Jr. is collecting checks from past Donald Trump donors at a much higher rate than former Joe Biden contributors. A sign the independent presidential hopeful may pull more from the Republican electorate than Democratic voters. A Politico analysis of campaign finance records also shows that Kennedy's bid has drawn millions of dollars from donors who kept their wallet shut in the last two presidential elections suggesting he is activating people who have been turned off by what major parties have been offering. So that is interesting because there's a whole pool of voters who don't vote, by the way, not even in presidential elections. And theoretically, you know, that's always something that you, it, that pollsters can never weigh that because they're looking at likely voters. And by that, people who voted in the most last two, three, four elections. And if there are people out there who, for different reasons, never vote or haven't voted and Kennedy is somehow, you know, inspiring them – it is a variable because he gets higher numbers. I've seen him in t- double digits in, in, a, in a three-way race. Cornell West, 2 3% at best. But Kennedy Jr. Um, has an appeal. And uh, MSNBC and others are pointing this morning to a new Quinnipiac uh, University poll uh, that shows Kennedy you know, making a dent. The yeah. survey found that a hypothetical three-way matchup in 2024, Kennedy would get support of 22% of registered wow. voters against Trump's 36% and Biden's 39%. Twenty-two percent. That's the that's the, Ross Ross Perot in uh, 1992 got uh, 19, almost twenty percent, right, or almost nineteen percent, uh, which was the highest. Um, well, I think since the sixties. I don't know if George Wallace, was he getting votes? Anyway, but anyway, it, it's very unique. By the way, another thing I want to mention right now, when we still here, because we mentioned this at the top of the program last week about uh, Lin, Representative Linda Cheney and PSTA, the Pinellas Suncoast Transit Agency. You might remember, of course, we've been talking about PSTA and the issue with um, the homeless, supposedly, with using the Sunrunner bus out there in the beaches. I mentioned this last week. This was an issue that came up. But more importantly, Representative Cheney was discussing a bill to go after Pinellas, the PSTA. And so the Tampa Bay Times this morning reported on that. Jack Evans has a story on that. And I'll read from the story there. It says the Transit Authority Board under this proposal from Linda Cheney would shrink from 15 members to nine in terms of their you know, their board. Seven of them would be the county commission, actually, or if they preferred appointees from within their district, St. Pete would be the only city with a guaranteed seat. The t- ninth seat would be appointed by the Florida's, Florida's governor. And this county commission would get the final say on transit authority decisions about property sales and purchases, eminent domain, bus lanes, and free fare programs. Um, and let's see, they would change the job description for the uh, CEO 
that they would consider private sector experience as a qualification. And so this is something to watch. I believe this bill is going to go up in front of the delegation once again at the end of this month. Uh, there will be a public meeting on that. And that's where they vote on what they call local bills, where the local lawmakers present amongst themselves and go, these are bills we want to bring up to Tallahassee. So it's not even for sure a bill that will go up there. Uh, and there might be opposition of that November 29th meeting, but just something to watch again for people who, you know, use public transit in Pinellas County and, and just, you know, think it's a, an issue, a major issue because obviously we have a lot of transportation problems here. Uh, okay, if you're just tuning in right now, you're listening to The Skinny here at WMNF. We're talking uh, all things politics right now. Uh, this, the Freedom Summit, the Fortis Freedom Summit is happening tomorrow uh, all day long. Donald Trump is the keynote speaker at 6 p.m. Uh, and, you know, it is significant in the respect that he will not be at the debate in Miami five days later on Wednesday night. That's going to be on NBC, the third Republican presidential debate. Uh, and so, again, this is a man. Oh, so let's talk about the Democrats for a minute because I've mentioned this several times on the show, and that is this happened last week. This guy, Dean Phillips, congressman from Minnesota, now is running against Joe Biden. And he's getting mocked by a lot of Democrats uh, because they don't want this. They don't want to see Joe Biden have anybody challenge him. Um, it's maybe a little rough. There was actually a, a Washington Post story about Dean Phillips' uh, uh, town hall in New Hampshire that kind of went a little haywire yesterday. But uh, nevertheless, he is in the race. And I just think this is, um, you know, I don't know if it's going to change anything, but uh, he may win New Hampshire, by the way, because Joe Biden is not actually on the ballot in New Hampshire. And New Hampshire is not really, the, the Democrats are not, you know, running. Well, again, Biden theoretically is, uh, you know, he's not being challenged by anybody else right now. There's not much of a primary, but Democrats already announced that they will not do Iowa and New Hampshire, which have traditionally been the two races to begin the, and, and, the, and what Republicans are still doing this year. Democrats, they because they've been criticism for decades about starting out with Ohio and New Hampshire, that it's not, in terms of the Democratic Party, representative of the party in terms of uh, racial diversity or even geographic diversity. That's where they started using Nevada and South Carolina in recent years. Um, so, so this Dean Phillips character is out there, though, and I think, again— I'm Promising to hold 119 yeah. town halls in New Hampshire— are there 119 towns in New Hampshire? Uh, I'm not sure. I'm I, not sure. But his his campaign, if uh, it, you know, if the first one was any indication of how the rest will go, uh, his campaign certainly might want to rethink that. Um, two voters were thrown out after a tense exchange with the candidate over Israel. Uh, did did anybody watch this? I read about it this morning, though it sounds yeah. wild. Actually, it's not the way this guy wanted to start out. I right. mean, again, he's 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 not he's missed the, the you can't you, you, there are certain states you can't even get on the ballot on right now. He's missed those deadlines. Uh, I, I'm curious about Florida now when I think about this. I hadn't looked into that. We of course are voting in March our presidential primary. I can tell you this that the. Um, uh, we don't. There's no, no labels that famed third party group that talks about having a candidate to run. Um, they are on the ballot in Florida, but they don't have a candidate yet. But they're already there, and so is the Green Party. We, you know, we had Randy Tower from the Green Party on earlier this year. Uh, Cornell West is not running on the Green Party ticket now, so I don't know if Cornell West, you know, as an independent, what his situation is in terms of getting on the ballot in Florida. He's not doing. I reached out to Cornell West people months ago about trying to get him on the program. Um, that, that has not gone to. He's not, he hasn't got on. I guess the bottom line with that. Uh, so you know what's interesting about that is in the context of the Republican primary and all these different views over there, desire to move on from Trump. They're actually having something of a reckoning and having somewhat constructive conversations about the party. But I still feel like even with all the disruption on the Democratic side, there still isn't any kind of real 
progress or a clear uh, schism or line as far as values and what Democrats want their party to be. I mean, they're all mostly still fall in line with Joe Biden, d- despite all this. Is the Democrats, though, one of the things is really going to be, again, like they did before, which is run more anti-Joe Biden than talk about, excuse me, anti-Donald Trump uh, or anti-Mike Johnson now, the new House Speaker, right, who just, America just, you know, was welcome to him last week and really didn't know much about him, and he's very socially conservative. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's a lot of our politics is, is driven by, you know, hate and negativity versus I'll, you know, what, this is what we did, although the Biden people will say, hey, look, he's done all these great things in the economy. This is what I would say, by the way, on the economy, and that is why Joe Biden struggles at the polls, where he's, again, in his high 30s, low 40s at best, is that for people certainly making under $100,000 a year, the economy is not doing that great. Yeah, I mean, unemployment is down. The GDP last month was great at 4.9%. But it costs a lot more to things now than it did three years ago. That's not Joe Biden's fault per se in terms of inflation. Inflation is a worldwide phenomenon since the coronavirus. But it doesn't matter to people, right? If you're struggling, if it's harder for you to pay for things than it did a couple of years ago, that has always uh, historically in America been the number one issue driving people in terms of you know, am I doing as well as I was four years ago kind of thing. But how does the job market play into that? Because uh, the numbers today should suggest that the unemployment rate is less than 4% for the first time. Uh, It's been under 4% for this long since the late 1960s. So I wonder, I mean, people are working, inflation is higher, but uh, we don't have this huge unemployment rate. Well, we don't, but it's always that thing, right? If you 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 don't have a job, then it's an unemployment's a crisis. But if you have one, do you think about it that much? You know, it's what people are, Looking at their best interests, but 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 the inflation is is widespread, right? I mean, it affects all of us, but some of us can weather it better than others. I mean, I always go back to this thing about paying for cars. Right now, I pay for my monthly payment for a car, and I'm almost done with it after five years of three hundred seventy dollars a month. But I'm told right now, basically, to buy a new car or even a used car, it is almost twice as much to do that. It is that's a heavy burden, and that again is all the supply chain stuff that came out of 2020, 2021, and so if you're doing that and you have to buy a car and you, again your income is whatever it is, we've always we talk about about the rent and you know and the property insurance here. So in terms of you know, I, it just was a little bit easier again on inflation only. But I think that is underrated when people go around. A lot of these people on MSNBC specifically, they go like, why is Joe Biden struggling? He's doing great. The economy's doing great. You know, oh, another factor is, interestingly, this came out in the Gallup poll last week where he had lost 11 points in the last month. This uh, Israel-Hamas situation is splitting parts of the Democratic Party uh you know, uh, basically. And the younger folks who are more supportive of the Palestinian cause are not happy with how Joe Biden has handled this. Now, a lot of people think he's done a great job in handling the situation so far. It's a very volatile situation. Uh, and, but, uh, you know, that that is just something that's uh, part of the of moves voters, specifically in a place like Michigan, which is considered one of the seven basic battleground states uh, that are going to determine the selection. Florida is no longer part of that, of course. Uh, and that has a, a, a strong, you know, uh, Arab population there. And folks are not happy with Joe Biden when it comes to how he's been handling that. That's a crucial battleground state. So that's something to watch out. And the other thing, again, I was going to bring this up with, uh, with, with our guest who is not here yet, but is that, um, okay, well, I'm going to get these polls, by the way. So um, on, on state polls, morning, morning consult survey 
had Joe Biden in the crucial uh, battleground states, had Trump up by one in Pennsylvania, up by two in Wisconsin, up by four in Arizona, and up by five in Georgia. This is last week, folks. And I know it's a year from the election, but that the whole premise partly of Joe Biden was that he can beat Donald Trump because he did it before. And that's why he's the guy um, and, and, and he's the only one who could stop Donald Trump. And again, these polls are indicating that not necessarily the case. Yeah, I mean, we talk about three, four, five points, and then just with elections themselves being so volatile and kind of having a lot of surprises on um, election night, you know, just numbers or, or, and then you have the conspiracy theories that get spun when you talk about early voting and the way that uh, supervisors of elections um, count vote. So I don't know, even six points kind of feels not. Exactly. Well, by, on early voting, by the way, you know, the Republicans were so critical of that in 2020. We, of course, been doing it in Florida for decades now. Republicans led the way on early voting. They've been really critical, but now the Republicans have embraced early voting and even ballot harvesting, what they call, which we, is not allowed here in Florida, but is allowed in some of the states. Um, Ron DeSantis has said, we're, we're, we're ballot harvesting is legal. We're, we're going to do it because they feel that it's not working to be to be the party of like don't early vote because we don't trust that because those are banked in votes i mean that's a good way of obviously making sure your 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 voters get out to the polls and democrats have, you know they did it better in some of those crucial battleground states uh 2020 some of them by the way who had never done early voting but because of the coronavirus they were sprung into action some Republicans criticize that. They thought there were some nefarious things going on there. Um, it, it's, I, I don't know. I can't speak to any other states. It wasn't here. And again, we've been doing that this for uh, 20 years, basically. Um, what so, do you think about this, uh, dear listeners? Give us a phone call, 813-239-9663. Again, 813-239-9663. Uh, we'll bring you on or send us an email. Oh, yes. Yeah, so we, uh, we got some, somebody who just wrote in. Okay, this is like a personal thing. I, he says, um, talking about RFK Jr., America won't elect a president who sounds like Kermit the Frog. Um, yeah, uh, RFK Jr. has a, uh, an issue with his throat. He has had it for a long time in terms of his speaking ability. I don't think that's why he's not going to become president. Um, but it's but by the way, I mean, everything counts. I mean, looks count, unfortunately, how you sound, you know, it's just the way it's always The Rainbow worked. Connection is one of my favorite songs. Yeah. So great I think he has a shot. <laughs> and anecdotally, you, you talk Does about people that don't vote. I, I don't hang out with a lot of contrarian people uh, just because it's kind of annoying. But some of my friends who don't regularly vote, they talk to me about RFK for some reason. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's, he's such a chord in a way that I mean, obviously, I mean, in a way that I don't get it. And I guess I don't get out enough to, to know this because like the, the, you mentioned uh, Ben, the poll that's like got him at 20 percent. That again, that also tells you that people don't want to vote for Trump or Biden, and I think we've seen polls that strongly support that in terms of you know the, the choices that we have in this country, and I think that um, it's always historically been the case. With, I don't know again everybody's own personal preferences about you know quote unquote voting for the lesser of two evils, which is why some people. Do not get into it whatsoever. Again, 1129 in the morning here. We are going to hopefully have a guest here. Well, a couple of guests we're going to have here. Our, our studio guest. I don't know what the problem is when you're coming from St. Petersburg. And I can say this because he's a friend. But um, when you're leaving, uh, there's a thing called traffic on the Howard Franklin Bridge. So when you're supposed to be here at 11 o'clock. But anyway. Uh, now, I mean, nowadays your phone tells you when to leave. You know, you put it in there and then it tells you traffic is heavy. Traffic it, is light. You will need 28 minutes to get to WMNF. So, uh uh, we will we will wait for that. But um, what, I, I, sh I guess I should bring up some of the other Mitch, questions that was bringing up there. We're supposed to have uh, Anna Paulina Luna. 
hopefully in the next there. minute. How, how does that happen out of nowhere? Tell me about your reporting there um, and, and oh, why I, we well, I've just been trying to, to reach out to her for several months, actually. Uh, uh, you know, Congresswoman Anna Polina Luna was, uh, ran in 2020, of course, for the, uh, the, the seat in Pinellas County. That's when it was re- that was when it was a different seat, drawn up differently. Of course, Democrat Charlie Crist won that. Uh, and then we had redistricting after the 2020 uh, census, and it became a much more, um, if, you, if you recall, right, it was a little over a year ago where um, Democrats Ben Diamond and uh, Michelle Rayner were going to run for that seat. And then when the, uh, and that's being, by the way, challenged legally still. So anyway, to answer your question directly, we, I've just been working on it, basically. And, you know, fingers crossed it'll happen here in the next minute or what, so. What are your thoughts on um, Luna drawing in a new challenger? I mean, it's crazy. It's actually, we, it's we actually had, more than one. Whitney Fox. No, uh, Whitney right. Fox was here on behalf of uh, the PSTA. PSTA um, and, and now she, he, he's, she's in, in the race. Well, I understand How much that- does that change uh, for Anna Polina Luna? Okay, okay. I think we have Congresswoman Luna on. Congresswoman, are you there? I am. How are hey. you guys doing? I was enjoying the condom. <laughs> <laughs> We're it's like burning. being in the yeah, room. Yeah, well, thanks. Well, okay, so great. Walk, she walks in, yeah. <laughs> okay, well, great. Okay, so this, and we, only, we only have you for like a little over 10 minutes here, so I want to make sure to hit these questions here. Uh, so thank you so much, uh, Congresswoman cool. Luna, for joining us. So yesterday, of course, the House voted on this, um, the bill, uh, $14 billion in military aid uh, to Israel. Um, it, now, it slashed a proposal that the Democrats had offered that combined that with a tax enforcement initiative of the IRS. Um, it looks like it may not go further, though, right now. I know Senate President, uh, excuse me, uh, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer says he's not going to bring it up. The Biden administration was against it. Um, tell me about it. I know you supported this. Um, you know, it, it, it only included funding for Israel here. What are your thoughts about that bill? Well, you know, first of all, it just, I, I'm not even making this political. Israel's our ally, right? They're our NATO partners. And from what we've been seeing footage-wise and image-wise, what's happening there currently with the terrorist organization Hamas is absolutely horrifying. So I obviously support this. Um, unfortunately, in the Senate, they are trying to basically force us to either vote for funding for Ukraine and or basically trying to tie it to some of their pet projects. And so, as you know, back in January, I was very firm about single subject spending bills. Obviously, Israel and Ukraine are two totally different things. And so we're waiting to see what the Senate will say. But I think that it would be a grave mistake. And as you saw, many Democrats actually joined with us to pass this. So I think that what you're seeing right now is there is a split with um, really even the positions of, I think, some of the Democrat Party right now. And frankly, I just think that we have to support our allies and stand with Israel. Yeah, you're right, Congresswoman. Debbie Wasserman Schultz was one of the Democrats in Florida who did vote for the bill, and I want to quote her, though. She said she, quote, was appalled by the gross politicization of this critical funding and an unprecedented conditioning of emergency aid to Israel by Speaker Johnson. She said, I urge many of my colleagues to vote against this bill because of the horrendous precedent it set and the urgent need to pass the full emergency supplemental proposed by President Biden. For me as a Jew, a Zionist, and a representative of a large Jewish community, I personally need to vote, cast my vote to stand with Israel. So, um, so the bill, right? The proposal, original proposal by Biden was 105 million for, um, you know, distributed around. There would be money for Israel, 61 billion for Ukraine, uh, more than nine billion in humanitarian needs for Israel, Palestine, and Ukraine. And Congressman, let me ask you about that part because a group of Republican senators, including Rick Scott and Marco Rubio, do not want humanitarian aid to go to Gaza because they say that will be siphoned off by Hamas. Do you agree with that? Would you vote against that? 
Yeah, I absolutely do agree with that. In fact, I, over 50% of Palestinians support what Hamas is currently doing in regards to leading in their government. And so I think that it's pretty egregious that you have the United States on one hand supporting our allies, but then on another hand, not really ensuring that that funding that's supposed to be for humanitarian aid would be spent in an accurate fashion. And, you know, I always tell people this: you, like, let's just take the whole argument of, of right now that Palestinians are lumped into with Hamas, right? Um, there's there's a big separation, and what people have to realize is that Hamas is holding Palestinians hostage. We have seen photo evidence of them literally using these civilians as human shields. And so this organization and what is doing, not only are they defending themselves, but they all also are liberating some of the individuals that are being held hostage by this terrible terrorist organization. So uh, just one last point on that, and that is, so I, and I hear what you're saying and the, the, the administration has said they, you know, they can't guarantee that money that would be sent to the Gazan people, the Palestinians there, would not somehow get over to Hamas. So, so should we not send any money, though, because there's obviously a need for humanitarian uh, purposes in, in the Gaza Strip right now? Well, you know, here's the big argument, right? And I'm sure you guys saw my legislation that just came down in regards to really holding the United Nations accountable. There are plenty of other countries around the world that are both for and against sending aid to Palestinian civilians or Palestinian civilians. But again, the issue is, is that Hamas is literally hiding within the civilian sector. And so what Israel is having to do is they're having to systematically go through. And mind you, I just met with the um, consulate general for Israel actually in St. Pete on Monday. And they're having to go through and and basically ensure that one, they're not hurting innocent civilians, but also two, that they are correctly positively identifying those individuals that cause this awful terrorist attack. And so right now, the position that I'm holding is that we have to back our allies. And if that means holding funding right now to the Palestinian government because they cannot ensure that that's not going to go to terrorists. I'm absolutely for that. Again, we're speaking right now with Congresswoman Anna Paulina Luna from the Pinellas County area speaking to us. I want to move on to Ukraine funding because Speaker Mike Johnson has said that he intends to attach legislation dealing with immigration with aid for Ukraine. He is going to bring that back up. You've been pretty critical uh, about not supporting uh, Ukraine. I mean, I, I, I think it's correct. Tell me about that. And what do you think about this proposal to attach uh, immigration funding with Ukraine funding? Yes, of course. So I'm actually um, a delegate on the House Democracy Partnership. And so I actually met with the Speaker of the Ukrainian Parliament several months back. And what I can tell you is my main reasoning for not supporting funding to Ukraine is because of the fact that the uh, the speaker told me literally that they were anticipating on creating a privatized military similar to the Wagner Group. As you know, that's the basically mercenary army that Russia has. The supplies we are giving them after the war with Russia is over, in addition to them demanding that we give them S-35s, which we can't because they are not a part of NATO. And so after I heard that, obviously, and I'm sure you both would agree, it doesn't matter what party you are, no one wants to have a mercenary army. That's just bad for the world in general. Plus, there's no accountability for where that's being spent. So I actually brought this to the attention of Speaker Johnson yesterday. I met with him in, in uh, the Capitol, and I brought that to his attention. I said, look, Speaker, right now, national polling with everyone is showing that people want border security and what's happening, not just from a human rights perspective, but also from a national security perspective at our southern border is really, really bad. 
And so I told him, I was like, look, I'm going to ask you and I'm going to tell you right now, if you try to attach it to border security, again, going back to those single subject bills, I'm not going to vote for it. And I think a a bunch of my colleagues are going to have the same position. And so obviously being the speaker, he's in more of a negotiating perspective with the Senate. But people have to realize that the Senate has such consolidated power that they no longer are representing the interests of the American people. And I'm, I'm calling out my own party on that, too. Mitch McConnell is, is not representing us in regards to average folks that are being impacted by this. This guy lives in Washington. He doesn't leave here. And so I think it's pretty awful what they're trying to do to the American people in regards to attaching funding. Hey, Representative, speaking of places where you live, I want to kind of take you back home here. Sunset Beach is um, opening up in Pinellas County this weekend. I know you've had some issues with the dune restoration um, efforts and the Army Corps of Engineers. I'm curious, where are you and your constituents uh, as far as that effort? And and what is an alternative to the Army Corps of of Engineers handling this if if they can't uh, get the job done the way they can done? I'm so glad that I'm so glad that you bring that up because actually this week I just got it passed into our bill that we had on water that we have officially defunded the 1996 policy that basically the Army Corps was citing for forcing those um, private land uh, private home ownership and easements and so right now for the next funding cycle for this, Army Corps will not be able to say they cannot enforce it because that policy is no longer there. Um, I also tried to Holman rule the uh, Secretary of the Army Corps, but unfortunately that one didn't pass. But I will say that we wanted to hit it from a different perspective. So as you know, my predecessors, um, Charlie, Chris, I even spoke with Representative Gus Bilirakis on how to attack this. We multiple times went back and forth with the Army Corps. They basically stonewalled not just our county, but other counties in Florida as well. And then also to other states as well. And so in my opinion, you know, you have people up here in Washington that look at this just like a project. They don't realize that people are literally losing their homes. It's impacting our tourism and also to it's impacting um, some habitats for endangered species. And so we are successful in that. And then we're also going to be changing the verbiage for something called WERDA, which is another angle that the Army Corps will try to use for interpretation on what on what they can and cannot say no to in regards to projects. And so I'm pretty proud of that. First time it's happened in a while. And I think that we've been uh, making baby steps in the right direction. So so if the Army Corps of Engineers is not going to be able to in- enforce this, what is the solution for sand dune restoration um, out there? Well, they cannot require people to hand over their proper, uh, private property rights in regards to them renourishing a public access point, right? And so it's going to force them to do their job, which in my opinion, again, if they're receiving all this money from the federal government, that obviously is, again, a habitat for endangered species, not to mention it's impacting our community and our homes. They need to do their job. Congresswoman, going back to Washington for a moment, let's talk about impeachment. I saw you on Fox News this week, and I think you said that you believe impeachment hearings could actually begin at the beginning of next year, uh, which could stun a lot of people. Uh, I know you're part of the House Oversight Committee, which has been looking at preliminary investigations on this. And I know, you know, Fox News, Jesse Waters is talking about a smoking gun coming out this week. I've been trying to follow this closely uh, as close as I can, because I have a very open mind about this when it comes to President Biden, the connection with Hunter Biden or Jim Biden, you know, getting money from Chinese interests and somehow leaking that to Joe Biden. You have this whole issue with these checks, $200,000, I know the Democrats maintain that money shows that it was a loan between family members while Biden was not in office. Uh, I don't know if this is definitive of anything. 
um, it, to make the case, I guess, Congresswoman, for the American people, because I don't think we're – the public is – you know, some par- elements of the public are following this closely. A lot aren't, and, and there's pushback, obviously, um, in terms of this. But tell, I guess, in, in a nutshell – you, why do you think there's actually something there that uh, that Joe Biden could be uh, should be impeached for? Okay, so first of all, I would love to share, and I will be having my team send you all the evidence that we have been receiving from our investigations on oversight, because I think it's important if people want to see the facts, we put those facts out there. So I'll be sending that to you. Um, secondly, we've been conducting these investigations since I got elected, right? So it started out with having whistleblowers come forward to the FBI. The FBI gave us a redacted document after it came out unredacted. Uh, we then found out that not only was there apparently recorded conversations where uh, at the time Vice President Biden was on the call while brokering deals for Hunter Biden in his overseas transactions. And um, that actually came out of Ukraine. There was also to um, bragging essentially that it would take years for investigators to uncover the pattern of shell corporations that they set up to launder this money. But, you know, impeachment is something that I take very seriously, and I don't think that it should be used as a political tool. But what we're seeing right now is is bribery and public corruption. And as you know, there's an extensive process for members, you know, ranging from House members to Senate all the way up to the president to disclose financials, right? And so when you're seeing these large sums and amounts of cash come in, quote unquote, they're calling it a loan repayment. But the problem is, is that these people are listed for dealings with uh, organizations like or with governments like the Communist Chinese Party, with entities out of Russia, with um, business owners and entities out of Ukraine. And that's called selling access to your position. And so what Comer has been doing has is he has been subpoenaing bank records. I do believe with Speaker Johnson now, we will be able to get some of the family members right. in. Right. I but, mean, Hunter Biden, yeah, how about Hunter Biden? I know you wanted to get see Hunter Biden uh, subpoenaed. Is that that's going to happen? Yes, I believe it will. And I think that that, again, is going to be we want to make sure that the American people have the facts before we bring them out, because this is, again, one of probably the most serious things that can happen in our history and, and in our government. And so we need to make sure that that's all out there for the American people. OK, last question for you. I know you have to go here in a minute. Uh, you were, of course, mm-hmm. I think you were supportive of, of Matt Gates when he had the uh, vacate. What is it? Uh, motion to vacate to get rid of Kevin McCarthy. To vacate. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, ultimately, we've got this new guy, Mike Johnson, that we're all learning about. I know at one point you were supporting Jim uh, Jordan, but um, as it turns out, you know, I know people and you're, you know, I know you're a close ally to Congressman Gates here who is being, you know, he was being decried by some of your fellow Republicans a few weeks ago. And now it looks like for the for the very conservative crowd there, you've got your guy, I guess. Would you say that in terms of Mike Johnson? You know, Mike Johnson has for a number of years been a constitutional um, law attorney. And so he is absolutely equipped for the position as you're seeing with some of these negotiations and how he even tied the Israel funding to really IRS cuts in something called a rescission, which is where you claw back money and reallocate it. I mean, I think that he is the person that we need, especially for these investigations. You know, I'm not going to sit here and lie to people. Most of what we we push out of the House is going to get stalled by Senate and the White mm-hmm. House. However, our job and what we can do is we can put the facts out there to the American people. And frankly, we need to ensure that, you know, normal people are, are actually being given a voice. And as you saw with Speaker Johnson, he's a very normal person that's just doing the right thing. And I think we need more of that in Washington. All right. Congresswoman Anna Paulina Luna from Pinellas County talking to us from Washington today. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks, guys. God bless. All right.
All right. And now coming back here into the studio, we've got our Barry Edwards. Barry, thank you Barry, for joining I'm glad us. You're here, Steve. Thank- I know we we're ch- chiding you on there. <laughs> I know. Well, I deserve. Uh, you know, do not. Any politi- we should not vote to reelect any politician in Hillsborough County that doesn't take care of that transportation problem. When you come across a bridge and you stall for four miles and go five miles an hour, and it's months and months. Every time I'm in Florida this week, I'm late. It's unacceptable. Why are we not you fixing You need to be that? taking an air taxi, man. I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> All right. Driving. Well, Barry, of course, uh, is we, uh, our guest here for the last 15 minutes of the Skinny here. Again, you're listening to Skinny here on WMNF 88.5. Uh, Mitch Perry, Ray Roa, Ben Montgomery with Barry Edwards, a consultant here for decades, right? 40 years now, right? I guess roughly. My first Senate race that I ran was for Gene Malkin in 1982. Uh, so that would tell you. Yeah. Look so, at a headline here that calls you a powerhouse. So, Barry, let's talk about this. Uh, we mentioned earlier the voter registration drive, but South Florida uh, Democratic Senator Jason Pizzo, uh, who's expected to lead the Senate Democratic Caucus next year, said in a recent interview, quote, we're not flipping any seats, talking about the state Senate in Florida. Right now, there's a 28 to 12 advantage. That's true. They may not flip any seats. He could lose three seats. So this, this, this angered people. This angered Jeremy Matlow, city commissioner in Leon County. He, he said to uh, Jason Pizzo's comment, quote, what a fraud. All these folks are worried about their ego and their own gubernatorial bids while turning their back on Floridians that need them to stand up and fight. Is this where the Democratic Party is at? Just give up, a, give up a year before the election? Well, I just wrote an op-ed yes. in the Tampa Bay Times with Greg Truex, my friend Greg Truex. And we talked about three areas. One was fundraising. And I made it as the most positive, favorable slant you could toward the Democratic Party, Democrats in Florida. I took caucus to caucus, party to party. I didn't include the PACs because if you include the PACs of all the members, the lead for the Republicans goes up about another 100 to 1. So whenever you include it any other way, data-wise, it's bad for the Democrats. So the best one numbers is the House Democrats under Fentress Driscoll have $140,000 in the bank. The Republicans in the same committee have $3 million. In the Senate, the Senate have $248,000. The Democrat, the Republicans have $18 million. Real, say that again, $18 million 18, versus... $18 million versus $248,000. Okay, oh. so the Republicans... I think would say that there's three seats that are in play. I looked at all the seats. Now, as you know, I predicted for the editorial board at the Times. I gave, uh, I think it was uh, Kirby. Uh, uh, what was Kirby's first name? Uh, yeah, I know uh, you said. But anyway, uh, I gave him. Kirby tweets is his yeah, Twitter but handle. I, but I used to give Kirby Tim Nickens. Kirby Wilson, yeah. 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 So, so I, I, get, I predicted the legislative races 15 months out on the state Senate four years ago and six years ago. Right. The most I was off by two points. They're that structural. These races are not. So if you think that you're special, then you are then you have some sort of psychosis because nobody's <laughs> special. Unless you're more special than Barack Obama, Ronald Reagan, Bill Clinton, et cetera, combined into one. It is interesting, by the way. This so is, they're that yeah. structural. Yeah. The seat up Corey Simon is not going to get beat. In Leon County area. In Leon County. Yeah. Now, the most competitive seat that we've ever won was Janet Cruz ran a great campaign against Dana Young. 2018. 2018. She spent $4.4 million, I think, in total spending. And it went to and, recount. And, and, and it was, she won by 411 votes. And, uh, well, they, and, and Hillary Clinton won the district by two points. So the best district we ever won was a district that the Democrats had a plus two advantage for performance for president and governor. Plus two. Okay. So Corey Simon is nowhere near that good. The, but the Democrats have three seats that they hold, or two seats that they hold, the Jason Pizzo seat and the uh, Senator Torres seat that... Ron, that Ron DeSantis won in this last election, that Marco Rubio won, that Ashley Moody won, that Will Simpson right. won, and that 
uh, yeah, no, it looks, uh, bleak. It looks so, so all five of those Republicans statewide won those races because of the even with the Puerto Rican vote, which we thought was a blue wall for the Democrats, it wasn't. Those seats could easily flip. But if we, but if we all, but if it cost us four point four million eight years ago to win a seat, right now Jason Pizzo can put in seventy thousand dollars into the three competitive seats. The Republicans, if they don't raise another dollar, can put seven million in. Now, I'm not as smart as a lot of you progressives on this show, being the progressive voice of Tampa Bay, but I think that's a big difference. Okay, we don't have enough yeah. money to compete on the Democratic side. Right. Okay. And you mentioned a moment ago Barack Obama because you know this weekend in Chicago, I believe it is, all the folks who worked the Democrat, the Barack Obama 2008 election around the country. But I, I see a lot of Florida Democrats are, are back, going back there. I see a Steve Shale. Uh, they're all and and I, I mentioned that because. Uh, you know, the commemoration of the 15th year of him winning the presidency, but it changed the Democratic Party, right, when he came in and running that, both in 28 and 2008 and also in 2012, that brought a lot of energy to the Florida Democratic Party in a way that seemingly before or afterwards... Brought a lot of money to the Florida Democratic Party. Okay, right, and he has owned, you know, Obama for America group. He separated himself, you know, um, but but we look at, because, I, I, you know, people can criticize the, the leadership under Nikki Freed right now, the Florida Democratic Party, but look, they were criticizing Manny Diaz. They were criticizing um, the, the, Terry Rizzo. They were criticizing, um, you, know, I, 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 you know, everybody. All the way back to Karen Thurman. Yeah. All of which had a commonality until the most recent is they all were uh, de facto chosen by Bill Nelson. Oh, okay. So if you want to you place, want to blame, you want to place the blame. He's doing uh, fine in NASA now these days, of course, after losing his 2018 election, where I did have criticized Bill Nelson publicly. Who had, who had $3 million dollars left in his committees, yeah. the same amount yeah. that Andrew Gillum did. I know. Thank so, you for that. I wrote about Bill Nelson. Everybody wants to blame Andrew Gillum for having all this money in the campaign. Bill Nelson did the same thing. $6 million could have made the difference. And I'm going to tell you right now, it's always counterfactual, and I don't like to deal with that intellectually, but for $6 million, he could have overcome Scott's lead. Then the, the then Mansion and Cinema would have been irrelevant as far as being able to block things in the Senate. He would have had a Senate majority. The world history was changed because he didn't run a good campaign. So shame on Bill Nelson because that wow. cost us the Senate. And so, it, it comes down to that one person. All right, wow. if you're just tuning in right humorous? now, why? I mean, yeah. why? Why leave I'm, six million? Yeah. Uh, well, it's either as in Hogan's Heroes, uh, uh, Major Hofstadter asked Colonel Clink, "Is it stupidity or complicity?" That's the question. Mm. <laughs> that is the voice of Barry Edwards, political consultant for four decades here in the Tampa Bay area. He's on the skinny with us here. We've got about uh, nine minutes or so left on the program. A couple of people still in the line. They might have been wanting to talk something about Congresswoman uh, Luna, but uh, I'm just going to bring some people on. I can do a prediction on that race. Uh, right now. Well she, well, she won by what, seven points? Last she won by eight points. Eight points, and it's going to be the same thing. Okay, so so uh, Joe Biden lost the district by seven, and uh, Charlie Crist in his uh, home county lost it by 17. So some people put it at a plus 12 district. I think that the most likely scenario with my models, and I told her on election night that she would win between 7 and 9 at 6.30 p.m. So I, hopefully you're still listening, Luna. But I think that the most likely scenario, if the Democrats spend $10 million, she'll win by uh, 10 and a half points. That's it. Is a matter of the, you know, Eric Lynn is he getting into the race? Eric Lynn last night was apparently calling people. If Eric Lynn gets in the race, she'll win by 15. Okay, Eric Lynn, of course, was the candidate. I, I think the race night. between Whitney Fox and all these, you know, PSTA is massively unpopular. And, I mean, what a campaign. Well, with, with the conservatives they are. But with, with, with 
first of all, nobody uses it. Okay, and I think you can. Oh, uh, so, we, so we shouldn't have it. I mean, I'm not. I'm not saying. So you're getting off on a distraction there, Mitch, and I'm not going to let you do that. I'm going to reject that premise. I'm telling you that politically popular with people that vote in Pinellas County. If you're a Democrat and you live in St. Petersburg and you have to go on first and first, you're very upset about the Sunrunner because I polled it and I polled a thousand people, and eighty percent of Democrats wish it wasn't there. So PSTA. Well, how, how recent was that polling? Two months ago. Really? Because we know before. And, and we, know, and we know what just happened. What happened on the Sunrunner? They have to charge for it now right. because you had homeless problems on there. Yes. And you should call the we sheriff. It wasn't that. just people getting dumped off. It was people acting up on the bus. Well, okay. Supposed homeless problems, complaints from people on, on an island. Well, we did hear. Right. Well, it wasn't, just, it wasn't just on the island. Call the sheriff and talk to the But get, get on the bus. I actually rode on the bus and saw somebody urinate. You saw that. Yes. Now, you sound like, you know, when Ron DeSantis went to San Francisco, he mentioned how he saw something like that. And we don't really know if he saw it or not, but you can say that and get away with it. Because you, you, you can go down, go to Williams Park and you, some, you can watch somebody urinate in, two, in an hour with me. Hey, that's been cleaned up since the, 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 the aughts. Uh, no, we, we can't uh, okay, fine. It's been, okay, uh, then I get accosted every time I go across there with my hot dogs. Well, okay, we've got, a, don't, call, don't we've got a couple callers here. We've got a Sister Kelly in on, on the air here. Sister Kelly, do you want to say something here? Thank you. Quickly. Uh, I wish that we would count for the last five years of the attack of the Israeli military against the Palestinians. Just count five years versus this one attack by Hamas. And this Prime Minister Netanyahu, he's happy about this carnage that he's causing because he is being kept out of jail and no. this propaganda of the false information that Hamas is using they said they are doing it to catch Hamas yeah, yeah. shown any of the Hamas persons that they've killed how can we be discussing uh, 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 something that the presidential election that's coming up down the road and nobody is being sensitive to the carnage that's going on out in Palestine and Gaza. And it's a religious propaganda. It's a military propaganda. And we should be looking within our mind, our spirit, and God help us. All right. Thank you for the call. I mean, I don't thank you. I appreciate every thought there. We are, yes, you can talk this whole hour for about the Israeli-Hamas situation. I understand that. The person we next elect for president will be dealing with this as well. I mean, I, 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 I appreciate her comments. I'm not going to weigh in because we're not doing a show on that. And you could do a show on the whole hour on that, Crystal obviously. Clearwater. I will say this. When I mentioned this a moment ago, uh, Barry, maybe you heard us. We were talking about this. Joe Biden, according to – yeah, we are talking presidential politics here. I think it's kind of significant. Um, is the, um, uh, the, the Gallup poll last week showed that Democrats, by 11 points, uh, he had lost support. And, and people are attributing that to – the uh, Palestinian Hamas, or excuse me, Hamas is real situation. Um, do you think that's that is attributable? I, I, I think my and for people that don't know, my brother George C. Edwards is the most cited scholar in the presidency in the world. Teaches at Texas A and M and Balio College, Oxford. Uh, the things like that, you know, one or two week swings like that mm -hmm. are, are very mercurial, and I don't think you need to put a lot of stock into mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. And as my brother said on election night when Donald Trump got elected on, or the, the, the Saturday before when uh, 
when Robbie Mook said there was a blue wall for the Electoral College, and he said at Houston NPR that, uh, that Trump could win the popular vote, or excuse me, win the electoral vote. And he said that Clinton won because Clinton won eight states that the Republicans had won six times in a row. So we need to, some of these premises that we make are incorrect premises. But the race is right now is a referendum on Joe Biden. And so everything, every incident reflects on him. As soon as the Republicans have a nominee, Biden will surge. Yeah. Okay. And then it becomes a choice election. He will try to make it a choice election and Trump will try to make it a referendum. It'll be a choice election. And it's going to come down to seven or eight states. Barack Obama spent money in eight states in 2012, Romney in 12, and they campaigned for 5% of the people that were up for up for uh, grabs. There's only 5%. And remember, Romney won the independent voters in 2012. Okay, if one of my other op-eds in the Times. So the, it's going to be who turns out, and it's going to be marginal differences. Remember, in 2004, under John Kerry, Florida turnout was 77.5%. Under Barack Obama, 75.5% in 2008, and it went down to 73.5% in 2012. But it's, So it's very narrow margins. My guess, as I hate to tell you this, is there's not a lot of enthusiasm for Donald Trump or for Joe Biden. I think that people say we're going to get turned out because of the hatred, which is a, as you said, is a motivator. I think there's going to be a low turnout generally election. But in Florida, to, be, to follow up on the thing about the fundraising, the other thing for that Leon County guy, uh, and the third seat is Linda Stewart. So they think that if Carlos Smith is so radical, in Orlando. that if they if he's a nominee, they can take that seat. Wow. To By the way, so we just had uh, Max write in, uh, and we only have a couple minutes left here. He says, if what this guy is saying is true, this guy being Barry Edwards, <laughs> I and none of my friends are Democrats anymore, he writes. We felt this already, but good to be confirmed. And if we have been critical of Florida Democratic leadership, maybe it's because they keep sucking. Well, okay, I don't know what that moves the ball at all, but... Um, well, no, but I, I think when you when you go to Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, I've done a lot with mental health and with Senator Roussan, the first thing you do is, I'm an addict, I'm an alcoholic. I think as Democrats, we need to say, I'm a loser. And then we need to say, why? And then we need to adjust from that. And one of the big reasons is, look at the voter registration. You were at the first article on the voter registration decline in the state of Florida. Everybody told me I was out of my mind before you wrote the article on Rob Laura I asked me about on Florida this week. Mm -hmm. And for uh, a decade ago, you had a 430,000 advantage for the Re Democrats. Today, you have 630,000 for the Republicans. In Hillsborough County, three years ago, you had 79,000. Today, it's uh, 16,100. There's a total collapse. Well, let me ask you this. We talk about Andrew Warren. He, he's not officially in the race yet. But well, he is officially in the race. That's it, another misnomer. He's a liar. Okay. When, in Florida, there is, you can't, when you declare, when you file your paperwork, yeah. before you can open your treasury report, the first paper they take is statement of candidate. If you go on the Division of Elections website to District 13, it says, I, okay. Andrew Warren, in his handwriting, am a candidate for District State Attorney okay. for District 13. You're so he is a candidate. Okay. I don't know why people, why should we vote for somebody who lies like okay, that well, and tries to mislead well, and obfuscate? I don't understand. As my mother taught me, a half lie, a half truth is a full lie. Okay, so the question is this, though. We're talking about how there's more Republicans in Hillsborough County. He won this by six points uh, th four years, three years ago. That's not enough anymore. He would lose today. He would lose today, you're saying? Yeah, because, in fact, I predicted the two county commissioners losing. Uh, and, I, well, all I did was take the 55,000 new registered voters, and I— and I tallied what their percentage of voting was the previous two cycles and added them in and did the same thing for the Democrats. And that's why Mariella and uh, Kimberly Overman lost. And since then, there's going to be more. By the time of the next election, the Republicans will have a registration advantage of over 50 white voters uh, in the county. I wish we had Barry for the whole hour. Yeah, by the way, Warren says this, the paper just allows him to stay in legal compliance with the state law. That's his his, his piece. I'll, I'll give you that since he get, went on yours. Um, this has been a great show, yeah. Mitch. Thank, yeah. thank you for doing this. Uh, Barry, thank you for 
for being here. It's always really good to see you. Skip Sassy, thank you for running our board. Irene Matthews answering the plethora of phone calls uh, this morning on behalf of Sorry myself, out there. Uh, my colleagues, Ben Montgomery and Mitch Perry. This has been The Skinny on WMNF Tampa. Stay tuned for Art in Your Ear with Joe Ellen Shilke. Thank you.